Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. From the blackest corners of your mind, they call, pulling you deep into shadow, twisting your senses, keeping you from sleep. It's time to face your darkest fears. This is Tales to Terrify. Good evening, children of the night, and welcome. Before we get started this evening, just a quick mention that I forgot to drop last week. For those of you who've listened to the show for a while, you might know that this time of year holds something pretty near and dear to us, the release of the Stoker Awards finalist list. And that means that we're hard at work trying to secure as many of the stories as we're able to air on the show. We've got a handful already, and we're excited to share them. So keep your ears peeled in the coming months for that. In the meantime, you can head over to thebramstokerawards.com to check out the full ballot and add some of this year's top terrors to your reading list. Our deepest, most disturbed thanks goes out this week to our newest patrons, Kimberly Cusack and Sarah C. Thanks for joining us behind the veil. Your support is the nightmare fuel that keeps the tales flowing like viscous ichor. And we truly appreciate it so much. Speaking of Patreon... It's been a little while since I've shared an update on our Patreon support. I just wanted to give a general shout-out and thank you to our patrons and those who support us on PayPal. I know this absolute lunacy that we've been living through for the last couple of years has made things incredibly tough mentally, emotionally, and financially for a lot of people. So for those of you who have been able to continue to support us, 
I just want you to know that your twisted generosity absolutely keeps this disturbing machination churning. A few of our supporters have also expressed their sadness at not being in a position to support any longer. And I'd like to say that we couldn't be more thankful for the support you've given. And we're just happy you continue to listen to and enjoy the show each week when it pops up in your feed. You will always be children of the night. It's been a few months now that we've had the regular income to pay our narrators as well as our writers. And I can't even express how good that feels and how thankful I am to all of you for your support. It's a huge milestone for our podcast, and we've still got a long way to travel to get to where we'd like to end up. Our next goal? Increase our pay rates for fiction. Higher rates mean more fair compensation for the incredible writers we work with on a regular basis, as well as the ability to attract terrifying new talent to the show. That all translates to more pulse-pounding scares for you, children of the night. I've mentioned this before, but even if a fraction of our listeners, I'm talking 3 or 4%, donated a single dollar a month, we'd be able to pay near-professional rates to our writers and narrators. Truly not in this game to make a buck. And I mean it when I say the money we raise each month goes right back into the show. As a proud member of this incredible horror community, there's nothing I'd love more than to help support those who make this show possible. The authors, voice actors, and staff that weave these terrifying tales into new episodes each and every week. So, if you do happen to have some spare change, a dollar or two you'd be willing to toss into the deep, dark depths of our wishing well, you can do that through PayPal on our website or at patreon.com slash tales to terrify. Honestly, having the privilege to read out the names of new supporters each week isn't just a perk for our patrons. It is for me, too. It feels amazing, and I really couldn't be more grateful. But for now, children of the night, let's get to what you came for. We've got a pair of tales to share this evening, about a boy's quest to cure his fears and find himself, and a tale of survival and experimentation on a mining colony. Our first story for the evening comes from Howard Sang. With stories accepted by Dubin Reed, Queen's Quarterly, and Seize the Press, Howard is a house father in Toronto, cared for by an entrepreneur wife and a teenage son. He enjoys short jogs, long walks, and vain attempts at domesticating Sebastian, the distinguished shiny squirrel who frequents his balcony. Children of the Night Join me for Howard Sang's Kiss Me King Kong, a Tales to Terrify original.
White-out snow has erased every other colour, even that of the horizon. No end in sight. Couldn't tell land from sky. Dove cannot run nor fly. Cocooned in an infinity of pale grey, gawking at the statue-like children not too distant away. He can only wait. From the little mound between the still boy and the unmoving girl protrudes a rainbow-like oblong. Serpentine. Rising as quickly as the prickly chill sliding down the back of Dove's body. Slowly, it slithers up and down, touching up Susie's plump cheeks with a tinge of rouge here, returning a shade of blue to Johnny's oversized boots there. At a rage of tightness in his chest, Dove gapes for air, sucking in frantically for oxygen, but devouring instantly instead every single inch between him and the thing. As Dove's eyes suddenly overflowed with a million hues, again, the same invisible hand of raspy wheeze chokes him. Until again, another one of those fingers snaps. Julie arrives and saves him. So, our last session, what did you see? Amid Dove's flapping white eyelashes, Dr. Kerr smiles wistfully, with a hand curled like a miniature mountain before the bough of a palm tree, shimmering with heat haze. Dove draws a long, deep breath, savouring the comforting smell of katong, the scent of spices and incense, and the ocean. What else? Just Newfoundland and lots, lots of snow, shrugs Dove, holding back the other things he should have forgotten a long time ago. His first session happened ten years ago, as soon as he had landed in Singapore for the first time. He was at odds with snow and ice and Dr. Kerr was renowned for curing phobias of such hysteric nature. Hypnotised and pelted by the blizzard in his mind, Dove thrashed around in a seizure. But the doctor lived up to his reputation and kept improving Dove over the years. And then Michael showed up. That new transfer said his uncle and your dad were both engineers on the same mine. With her eyes on Dove as always, Jenny blinked her long eyelashes. And a snowstorm buried the school cutting off power and roads for days. Your whole class died except you. Because you made a deal with Kiss Me King Kong, grinned Dylan, flexing his arms. The strongest pair in Dove's grade side by side like those of an alpha gorilla. It's Kissimmee Kanga, said Dove. Like any other child from Newfoundland knew, all too well about the fabled monster lurking in the depths of abandoned mines. Whatever, Dylan tips his face up. Michael said you gave the thing all your colours for your life. I called bullshit. I told him you were born this way. For the rest of the day, Dove thought about what Michael had said, but couldn't recall anything relevant until he went to bed. Until the moment his first dream lifted the veil of darkness hemmed by a long, sinuous smoke ribbon of mosquito-repellent incense. The slope of a snowy hill colourfully strewn with children's puffy snow jackets and plastic sleds, descended into Dove's field of vision. He was in his portable classroom by the window with Johnny, taking his time putting on the snow pants passed down from his sister. At the far end of the room was Susie, leaning against the wall by the large bookshelf, sneering. No one was saying a word. But Dove knew somehow that he and Johnny were still in there because the sooner they'd get out, the sooner they'd risk being mocked with something along the lines of, Dove, No one can see you in the snow, so you better stick with Johnny. 
because no one can miss his pants. <laughs> he also knew that Susie was just about to start teasing them and would not stop until the room was empty. At the click of Johnny's last snow pants buckle, Dove looked up from his snow boots with a dreadful realisation that the scene before him had played out too regularly. As he avoided Susie's gaze, thinking to himself whether he should finally make a stand for himself and his only friend, the corner of his eye caught the window, now a lightless, viewless rectangle. As a short, ragged line quickly grew and wriggled across the glass, the cracking window crackled faster and faster until it chased Dove out of his dream with panic and convulsion. The rumour was quickly dismissed from the small international school by Jenny's circulation of Dove's baby pictures and Dylan's intimidation. But Johnny and Susie remained in Dove's head, and he would lapse into the frantic symptoms he hadn't shown for years at the touch of even the smallest ice dreg. Fortunately for Dove, he'd just begun his puberty, and his relapse abated as quickly as the rapid growth of his body. In grade 10, Dove and Dylan had a falling out. Though Jenny insisted that it was because Dove kept beating Dylan in ping pong, everyone else knew it was because she and Dove had started going out. As Mikhail became Dylan's new best friend, Dove's accidental run-in with ice also became frequent. Mysterious plastic bags of ice cubes started appearing in his drawer. Out of nowhere, paper cups of slush began to land on his head. But thanks to his strengthening resilience, and Jenny and the teacher's watchful eyes in the library. Dove managed to writhe and froth on the sun-baked ground only a handful of times throughout his senior years. Each time, though, in the perfectly still image within his spasming self, he would still see Susie. The two of them would be stuck under a shelf leaned against the wall, surrounded by a jumble of books and desks and chairs, through which prickles of pale light and grey slushes trickled here and there. Chins on arms-wrapped knees, Susie would be gazing at the thermo lunchbox in between Dove's gloved hands, with a vivid sense of hunger gnawing at the pit of his stomach. Dove would wonder why Susie had that look on her face, as if she were frightened by the only source of sustenance in the slanty space of cold and despair. But he'd never figure it out before the doctor's snap came and took him out of it. Here we are, Holland Village. Dr Kerr leans in from the driver's seat hugging Dove tightly like family. Caltech, eh? Congrats again. Visit me whenever you're back. As a friend, of course. And never venture north, okay? Dove nods at the smile he will never forget and opens the car door. Oh, Dove. Dr Kerr pats his former patient on the shoulder. I heard there is a new Arctic-themed bar just open around here. A fairly popular choice for graduation farewell parties, I'd imagine. Sure hope you're not going there. Of course not. And thanks for the ride. Jenny's wide grin inverts, as if the two Gatorade buckets were suddenly hanging down from the two corners of her mouth, instead of upending over Dove's head in the hands of Dylan and Michael. Washed over by a blur of cold and grey, Dove starts to choke. His mind's eye struggles like a drowning man, tendrils of his senses flailing and whipping for hold of anything be it just a single dullest shade of Kissamakanga, or even the frigid little finger of one of his iced classmates. Anything to keep him afloat until the arrival of that snap. There is nothing. Only the same old chill trotting down his back 
for the first time, reaches the extremity of his spine. Rather than falling off him into the dark, airless abyss swallowing him, the cold reverses and traverses through the whole of his body, coiling his psyche instantly with a long, long strip of no longer dormant memory. Dove turns around, embracing all the colours that have never looked so lovely while taking a cool, deep breath through his skin. Kiss. Michael breaks off as the rest of the din in the bar wink out abruptly. Everything and everyone frozen, sealed in white, except for a ball of colourful glints, cruising, winding the four icy walls and the ceiling as if the frosty strobe light was still working. That was Howard Sang's Kiss Me King Kong, as read by James Barnett. James Barnett, a.k.a. Jimmy Horrors, is the creator, host, and producer of the Night's End podcast. When he's not banging his head against the monitor while editing audio, he scribbles horror stories. Check him out at jamesbarnettauthor.com or the Night's End podcast at nightsendpodcast.com. The Night's End Podcast is a short story podcast with a focus on dark, speculative fiction. It hopes to leave you wishing for the night's end before each story is through. Thank you, James. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Our second tale tonight comes from Stephen O'Donnell. Stephen O'Donnell is a writer based in Dublin, Ireland. His stories have appeared in Blackbird Journal, The London Reader, and Strange Horizons, among other places. Listen with me, children of the night, to Stephen O'Donnell's The Teeth and the Darkness, a Tales to Terrify original.
She could see the bolt hole until she reached the end of the street. You came through all right, Casey. She looked back once more, and then she started to climb the barricade. At the top, she squatted and laid down the satchel and searched one-handed without taking her eyes from the street below. She pulled out the pistol grip of the directional microphone and pressed the earpiece into her ear and made a slow sweep of the street in the surrounding buildings. She made a second pass. There was no sound but the rats, copulating shrilly behind the walls. Fucking A, she whispered. At least someone's getting some. She studied the rocky horizon beyond the city. The wind carried dark dust through the empty streets. She packed the microphone away and quickly climbed back down the way she had come. At daybreak, she was moving through the ruined city, stopping every quarter mile to listen. Her palms wet with sweat. She was climbing through the blown-out wreckage of a storefront when she froze. It was the sound of its lungs that she heard. It was close to blown, and its coat, shabby and muddy as it was, was a thing of beauty. She had never seen one before. The horse whinnied and then stood in the street with its nostrils blasting. Where'd you come from? she said. Something caught in her throat. The horse skittered back a step or two and then turned, and in its turning the girl saw the glinting ruby wound in its thigh. Its hooves sounding in the empty streets a long time. Her heart was beating hard in her ears. The blood, 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 Jesus Christ, the fucking blood. She ran into the street at a hard jog with her heart hammering. And then she heard the horse scream. And a feeling like a burst dam rose up inside her, screaming, The blood, the blood, the blood, the fucking blood. She was halfway up the hill, close to collapse when it started to snow. It fell in slow wisps, lean yellow slashes across her cornea the scabbard of the machete cold against her thigh. Up at the crest, the cement water tower had collapsed. The rubble of the struts littered the hillside like dolmens. With the light failing, she stopped again to check the map against Casey's scrawled directions. The maintenance shack was covered in rubble around the back. She found the manhole cover easy enough. It was 14 feet down the ladder to a cold forged grill about a foot thick at the bottom. A soft, steady hiss of heat from the deep darkness below. That would be the thing to do. Section off a piece for yourself and tap the geothermal. Hydroponics and UV. But it had failed on Casey and it had failed for you. 
She stomped the grill hard several times and then climbed back up the ladder. She slept harnessed to the ladder rungs, meltwater dripping all night. Her dreams were manic, fitful. The barren plains swallowed in the darkness, black suns illuming by dark light, a thousand shapes stalking behind her. She woke to them howling above the manhole. Dawn. She climbed to the surface and pushed aside the manhole cover, her breath about her in wild plumes. It had snowed all night. The sharp edges of the city dulled. She was hauling up her pack when she saw the boot prints in the snow among the other tracks. Shit, she said as her hand dropped to the machete. Take it easy. I'm not looking to hurt you. She turned to see a woman standing at the chain-link fence. She wore a gray engineer's jumpsuit and she held both hands in the air. How many are you? We? How many? The girl shouted. Ah, about twenty, the woman said. Take it easy. I just want to talk. You're talking. Just take it easy. How long you's been on me? Only since yesterday, since you spooked that damn horse. Try me. I'll slice your fucking tits off. Where's the rest hiding? What? Jesus, take it easy. Nobody's hiding. Try me. I'm telling you. Bunch of fucks tried it two towns back. She squeezed the handle of the machete with her offhand, and she was calculating the steps between them and the time it would take her to cross-draw the blade. Wouldn't be more in bone left of him now. Just take it easy, will you, for Christ's sake. I'm not trying anything. It's not... I don't want nothing like that. No? No. Now I'm going to put my hands down, all right? You stay there. The girl studied the woman. Held you want, then. You engineering? I was. You were. Okay. Come up and talk to some of my people. Where's the rest of yous? You don't look like you've been starving. The woman laughed. Jesus, what are you, five? You ask enough questions. They've camped at the far side of the water tower. Day or two, we'll have us a sort of cookout going. She saw the girl's face and she laughed again. Relax, will ya? Jesus, we found plenty of fucking tinned gruel. You're right, we're not starving. You come up, take a look, you don't like how it feels, then you go back to doing what you were doing. The girl watched her walk away and crouched, listening for any sound a long time. Shit, she said. Shit. She made four wide passes of the hill, pausing now and then to study the top. She used the microphone once, but heard nothing. She squatted at the bottom, rubbing her jaw and thinking and listening. 
She stood at the edge of the meadow. The ground sloped down gently. At the bottom, the overturned bowl of the water tower lay like a tunnel mouth, leading into a cavernous drain. The concrete banks of the carried under a scum of sulfur. There were three of them, huddled around a silver cube of machined metal at the base of the bowl. A neon hose line ran from the metal machine into the darkness of the drain. She crouched, watching a long time, until one of them turned and waved a hand. You said twenty, her voice carrying across the snow. I know, the woman shouted back. They're foraging. She approached them slowly, panting hard in the deep snow. The woman looked her up and down, and if she noticed the girl now wore the machete high on her left hip, she did not remark on it. The woman smiled. Curiosity got you then. The girl shrugged. Not much on the net these days. The woman introduced the other two. Most of the good people running with us, they were either farming, surplus service engineers, medical utilities, that kind of thing. I forget exactly. All low-tier and low-paid, though, right? Got paid weekly, the bearded man said. Very weekly. Putting it on the line since day one in this shithole. So now you're all just good and fucked as me, the girl said. Just the same, the woman nodded. The other woman, pale-faced and crouched at the small input panel of the filtration unit, spoke to the girl. Sabine there likes to talk. Talk and talk, always talking her way out of work. Something like that, Sabine said. The girl nodded at the machine. What'd you use to get that working? Sabine smiled again. Bet you forgot how good it was to have clean water. Go ahead, she said, and offered the girl a canteen. The pale-faced woman drummed a tool key against her leg. We was running a rig for a few weeks, she said, till the intake converter burned out. Storm made shit of the connections in the solar panels. All conditions, huh? I ever catch the bastard put that shoddy shit together. Sabine nodded. Rube here refigged the cells we had into the purifier. Couple days of hydrogen. Drinking water on the side. It's enough. Keeps us alive, the man said, and he patted the cube surface. Delicately. The pale-faced woman laughed. You wasn't the one rigged it, though, was you, Pendleton? You stretcher-bearer motherfuck. Suck a dick. He lifted a hand to his beard and blew a kiss at her. Be nice, Rube. Go chew some sulfur. You's all from the same sector? No, the pale woman said. Only met after this shit show kicked off. I was mineral engineering. Peckerhead over there worked in Medical Bay. He'd never even seen the frontier before. Probably never even heard of it.
We lost people getting here, the man said. Picked up some? Lost more. The girl looked at the purifier. Below the input panel, smeared in blood. A handprint. There were more of us yesterday, Sabine said. We, uh, people died getting this thing rigged to a steady line. She nodded behind her. The deep darkness of the drain was punctured now and again by the distant flicker of a lone emergency light. There was a small stirring whenever the light died. Pendleton looked away from the pit and shook his head several times. We were, I mean, there were eight of us went in there. They knew the risks, the pale woman said. It was that or die of thirst. Then we do a haul like this hunk to the surface. It's snowing. More fucking water than you could want. I mean, Jesus Christ, how the fuck do you like that? They were good people, the man said. But we got water and power coming in now. We got power? What'll we do if one of those bastards snags the line tonight? You gotta be first to eat snow when the fires burn out? Fuck me. We only got water so long as we got power. Take it easy, Rube, Sabine said. Come on, we still got work to do. You gotta forgive them. Your face, you're the first fresh face we've seen in a while. The first sunset festered like a wound on the red horizon. They worked slow in the freezing air, covering the line with bits of scrap metal, old star holes and struts, whatever wreckage they came upon. Working against the wane of the day, the girl watched the man. He carried things with his right hand, his other buried in his pocket the rest of the time. Sabine arranged a few final pieces of scrap. Time to wrap up the festivities, she said. We got the guts of an hour to get down the hill and sealed up. All three of them filled their canteens. Sabine filled the girls' canteen. You bunking with us? No. Suit yourself, then. Most our people's out scrounging. We'll only be here a few more days. After that, it's shit or get off the pot. What'd you need me for? And cut the shit. How come you didn't just dodge me? Leave me to starve or whatever the fuck. All you know is I'd be another mouth to feed. You're engineering. I knew that. So? So we've got engineering problems. You got time working on helion and deuterium, right? Maybe. So? So? We need as many full cells as we can get. Keep shit running. The hydraulics we use at night. The fire lighting keep the blood from freezing in our veins. The girl sniffed. Send it for me. Aren't you all heart? I won't be scrounging. I'm running out of food as it is. Here, Sabine said, you're preaching canon to the bishop. I need to talk that over with the others. High overhead, a mining barge arced slowly into the crisp atmosphere. She flicked her middle finger at it, and then she shuddered with the cold. A howl rose down in the dark streets of the frontier. And another. 
and another and another. She cursed and lowered herself quickly into the manhole and pulled the cover over her. All her dreams are bathed in blood. Ill portents, the skulls of hawks, blood matted her hair, and when she opened her eyes, they swam with blood. What dark emissary sends such visions to fill her nights? She woke with her face wet with meltwater. Sabine was waiting for her when she climbed out of the manhole. Jesus Christ, you're fucking haunting me. Squatting on her hams, the woman leaned over the hole and stared down into the darkness. I want to ask you something, she said. You've got to keep it to yourself, though. Could you do that? Try me, the girl said. Do you want to die here, hiding in a hole like an animal? That's supposed to be a threat? No, the woman said, and she nodded to the plain beyond the city. Some of us. We're getting out. We're going north. North? Across the Goodries? The very same for the silos there. The silos? Yeah. The standbys there, they ought to have something fueled up. Oughta? Goodries is a death sentence. Well, Jesus, kid, you don't say. And what do you think staying around here is? And I don't know that? That's 300 miles you're talking about. More than that, Sabine said. The way we figured it, the more people we've got going, people with the right skill sets... Well, that pushes the odds up. Some. Some? Jesus Christ. It'd make you easier for them to track for a start. The girl nodded to the marks in the snow. They'd be on you in no time. They're already on us. Look at them tracks. You think they're leaving you alone? Shit, the girl said as she spat in the snow. Tell me something else I don't know. How many are in on this? And what are you going to do? Twenty miles out and the last light gone. Kid, I tell you that, you got to bring something to the table first. We see how good you are at getting us what we need. See how much actual fucking engineering you know. She stood up and stretched and then trudged away through the deep drifts. She stopped and spoke through the chain link fence. Look. She said, you don't have to come with us. I won't coerce anyone to go anywhere. You just think good and hard about it. Think about your odds. The scouts began to trickle back at first light in small, ragged groups, wild-looking men in sewer boots. The snow at the edge of the meadow quickly trampled to a muddy slush. A shuttle raft had been cut and stretched into a tent. They congregated around a small fire beneath, mostly silent, bewitched by the fire. A balding man with spectacles was talking to the pale woman, pointing at the drain. Many'd you meet down there, Rube? I don't want to talk about that. A number. 
Go down yourself and count. Fuck me. She stopped when she saw the girl. You came back then. Who's this? This is our newest recruit. Sabine says you was engineering? Yep. You any good with generators? Filtration? Like what you got outside? You got the parts? I'll build you a new one. How about semi-state? What'd I say? Shit. Even if you don't have the parts, I'll build a workaround. All right, hotshot, all right. Come take a look at something with me, will ya? They trudged slowly through the deep drifts, the girl following a pace or two behind the woman. The water tower loomed before them. You see that horse the other day? I seen it. Something to see, wasn't it? Jesus, this snow is a fucking bitch. Up close like that? The girl whistled. How did he even get out here? Them are smugglers' ponies. That's what the talk was, anyway. Freeboots shipped them in a couple decades ago. They just took root, like weeds. What say, Pendleton? Hmm? About them Mustangs. Oh, yeah, Pendleton said. He was leaning on a crate, picking lice from his beard. That was the first one I ever seen. I mean, I seen ever. Nobody up high enough thought they were worth the time to do something about, so the bloodline went feral. The woman knelt at the instrument panel. Take a look here. I knew some people. Worked terrain, used to try to ride them. Whatever was in them that was tame is long gone. They were silent a time as they watched the readout carefully. Pendleton wandered away from them, mumbling softly to himself. I didn't know they could move around in daylight. It was the blood. Blood'll bring the bastards any time. The girl nodded. It was a bad wound. She removed a piece of paneling and placed it atop the cube. Hand me your tool key, she said. She lay on her back and hauled herself under the chassis of the unit. The other woman watched her pass out another panel. Lay it on top with the other, the girl said. She worked a long time, and when she came back out, she was shivering. She stood up and checked the readout again. That should be all right. That readout's good. Bit of grit in the line is all. Sensors weren't picking it up. Automation will flush it out now. Mighty, mighty, your lips are blue. You got some chow yet? The girl shook her head. Hunger like talons at her throat. Nah, didn't get the time. Fellas in the tent hauled back a ton of food. You earned a meal. Just don't let none of them try and corner you. Hear me? Anyway, I need to whisper in your ear. What I look like? I wear a collar? Nah, nah, it's like this. We need someone to keep the generator working for us. The cells we got, they're filling too slow. The Jenny's nowhere near capacity. And don't say this back to anybody around here. You got it running. You can't figure that? I only got basic knowledge of them. Fusion and semis ain't my jib. What I seen, it'd take two, three days of work. At least. That's all right. All right? What about my time? 
I won't be able to scrounge. I get it going at full speed, and you got juice coming out your ears. You move on without me. I'm left hungry. What good's that? I hear you all right. I hear you on that. How about a day and a half of food for every day you working on that? 1,800 cows. I don't know. Christ almighty, 18 ought and you don't know? All right, three days worth. Three? That's all I got, and that's deep in the stash. Sabine will have me strangled. I'll pass. You what? You gonna find them numbers yourself out there? Fuck is this? I take the 18 ought. Only you're going to tell me why you need something that powerful in such a fucking hurry. Don't give me no shit about lighting fires and opening doors. Out straight? I ain't. The woman stopped now to catch her breath. Well? It's a field generator. What's it do? Generate a field? Starving and still cracking wise. Don't you get it? I get it. Does it work? Ruby smiled bitterly. It works well enough. Well enough? That don't instill confidence. It's just... It's heavy. A goddamn hog on the cells. Technically, it's a field projector. We tested it at night. Sabine said a dry run would be just a waste of time. She needed to know if it worked or not. Uh, that's, uh, that's what has Pendleton so edgy. He had the short straw. He got volunteered to guinea pig. I can't see him voting for that. There wasn't any fucking vote. He's expendable. No skill set. The girl watched Pendleton. He stood alone in the meadow, muttering to himself. That mean it worked? Oh, it worked just fine. They didn't have one goddamn clue he was there. Well, until the juice there. Like I say, the juice didn't last so long. Projection cut out. Poor bastard standing alone in the middle of him. That's bound to soften, you prick. He barely made it back to us. They almost tore him apart. You haven't noticed yet, have you? What? Count his fingers next time he talks to you. He's only got one hand. He don't look it, but he's lucky to be breathing. Jesus, the girl said, and she spat into the snow. I don't need that kind of luck. Well, now you know. How's Goodry's sound now? She told you? She told me not to talk about it, the girl said. That's because it's her plan. Well, not all hers. She doesn't want any of them fucking perverts in the tent knowing. Wouldn't make it with them. They ain't healthy to be around. Deadweight motherfuckers. So, just you and her? What about the juice? It don't sound like you get enough to make it. How wide's the projection? Don't worry about that. I got that covered. That was all I did before this. The juice is your end. You help us get the generator up to capacity? Keep it running day and night for three days? We'll make it. 
The girl was silent. She crushed a snowflake in the palm of her glove. Fuck it. Okay. Sabine smiled as they stomped snow from their boots. I heard you came back. The girl nodded and moved toward the fire. What brought you back? The sparkling conversation? The fire. And I run out of food. You've nothing left? At all? Zip. Grab a plate, get in line, fill your stomach. You gonna help us then, with the filtration? Don't have much of a choice now, do I? No, Sabine said. I suppose not. You help, and we'll see you fed. It's that or go back to scrounging again, the girl said. Pendleton came in and sidled up to the fire with his good hand out to the flame. Sabine stepped aside as a man, wearing a cat's pelt over one shoulder, threw a log onto the fire. Don't look so troubled then, she said. It's not that, the girl said. The tracks in the snow, there were more of them last night. Yeah, it's the same near us. She jerked her head at Pendleton and Ruby led him away. They're closing in on every side. Any of you see the launch? They're still launching? The girl nodded. They don't know then. They can't. I mean, they can't know. They know. Come on now. They just don't give a shit. Probably got peels surveying us every fucking flyby. She waved to the roof. Which way was it going? Came up somewhere east of the city. Huh. If they've got launches, that means they're probably still working the seismic side. Ah, they're working it all right, the girl said. They won't stop till there's nothing left. The wheel just rolls on. This, this whole frontier going silent, that's just a setback to them. A flea's fucking hiccup. They got the time and they got the pockets to take the hit. They'll just ship in another bunch of fools, just like us, to pick up the slack when we're dead. Shit. They probably got quotas filled and in transit already. Me, you, this whole fucking carnival you got going on. They're just waiting on it to burn itself out. Where'd they find you at? The man with the glasses looked up at the big man beside him. Huh? I said, where'd they pick you up? Northern sector, somewhere west of Calverton. Calverton? Oh, yeah, the big man said, and he snapped his fingers. Now, what do you make of them things? He had his elbows on the table, and... He grinned widely. What things? The fucking nightmares on legs. Them fucking things. The man with the glasses moved the mush of powdered eggs idly around his plate. Well, at the start there, I heard some talk they were crossbred with wolves. I heard they grew them in a lab, uh, Heavy-duty shit, gene splicing. Heavy-duty shit. 
Yeah. But a wolf? Wolf's just an overgrown dog, the big man said, and he shook his head. Nah, they don't look nothing like no goddamn dog to me. They're pack animals. What? The ones hunting us. It's not just one or two, it's fifteen. Fifteen at the least. Tracker Joe over here, the man said. Watch out! I'm saying count their tracks in the snow tomorrow morning. You live that long, you schmuck. Easy now, the big man said, and he patted the other heavily between the shoulders. Why give him a saber-toothed fucking teeth? How'd you explain that? The man with the glasses shrugged. It's primal, the teeth and the darkness. Jesus, I could face near about anything in the daytime. Exactly. Fighting in the dark, nah, fuck that. Maybe they figured if people didn't see him, they wouldn't care. Curfew and all that. So what are you saying? I'm saying maybe they were engineered, uh, built for something else. Maybe they wasn't supposed to get loose. I heard there was a facility was way down in the southern hemisphere. Heard they cooked them up down there. You know an awful lot for someone in janitorial. What? Talk different, too. See, I've been studying you. The hell are you talking about? I don't reckon you did much janitorial work before. All you've done the last week is bitch and moan, no matter what you was asked. You work janitorial. Gotta just get on with it or they ship you the fuck out. You saying maybe they figured. I reckon maybe you helped them figure, huh? The man with the glasses pushed his food tray forward. There were beads of sweat on his forehead. The hell you say? I ain't no fucking scientist. You talk about them, but there ain't no hate in your voice. To me, I hear you talk about them. Sounds like you admire the bastards, huh? A man, sitting on the other side of the bench, leaned in to both men now. I heard that lab story, too, he said. Only when I heard it, the lab wasn't nowhere near Southern Longline. The big man looked across the table with mock surprise. That's so. He turned to a group of men eating behind him. Hey, you fellas hearing this? Where'd they say it was? A small crowd had gathered around them now. Well, the big man said, where was this lab? The place that causing us all this much misery. Don't sit on it now. West of Calverton. Right round where we picked up this motherfucker. No, the man with the glasses shrieked and flung away his tray at the man across from him. The big man grabbed him by the shoulder and shook him once, hard. Now, Doc, don't be like that. 
he said, and forced the man to his feet. Up, up, up! They hauled him towards the entrance. He started to protest until someone slapped the glasses from his head. Get him the fuck outside, someone jeered from the crowd. I was only ever janitorial, the man said. Hamstring the bastard. I got two brothers dead on account of him. The girl turned to follow them outside, but Ruby caught her wrist. I wouldn't. It won't be nothing you'd want to see. They done it before? Oh, yeah. Before and before. The man's screams carried up from the city for a long time. Then they stopped, suddenly. The girl shivered. Bastards. Ruby went to stand at the entrance to the tent. Long lines of shadow reaching like fingers across the meadow. The sun's wheeling down in the north. She spoke over her shoulder into the tent. You're clear. They'll be gone off to get some sleep, Sabine said. Anyway, they earned it. The girl had been watching her across the fire. A lynching will tire you out like that. Don't be like that. Having something to hate keeps him unified. Don't tell me you haven't killed. I know you have. It's in your eyes. Besides, they pulled in a hell of a lot of food. Food you're eating. Enough to make it across Goodry's, though? That's gotta be bullshit. I wish it was. That's no cover. Nothing. Fuck all water. It's just dry gulches and gravestones, even before all this. The hell you'd expect to make it. We start, and we don't stop. Those things'll stop you, generator or no. Or maybe you ain't paying attention the last six months. Jesus Christ. Listen to me, will ya? We stay here, hole up, subsist on spam, like we've been doing. We're dead inside of a year, and that's moving constantly. We find one place that ain't secure, forget it. We're done. How much food do you think is left in all these two-bit towns? How much of it isn't already rotten? You don't know that. How could you know something like that? I know. Just listen to me. Jesus Christ, I know. I was in supply. Not like you think, sweeping in sewage, higher up. I was on a monitoring panel for one of the subchiefs' planning committees. There were reports, constant reports, cost of risk analysis, dozens, just, I mean, constantly fed and refed into the SUZ for exactly this type of scenario. This here is what they'd call a grade two disaster. SUZ decided. Stores on the planet for a hundred people for a year. Hundred higher-ups. Cheap bastards. Wouldn't even maintain that. And even that's lower than industry standard. They figured it down to less than 20 people. 
It had cost too much in transport and refrigeration and storage space otherwise. They figured everyone would be better off dead anyway. And, and that was with the lights on. Power's out. The doors don't move. Some are stuck open. Yeah, but most are shut, account of the fail-safe. So now, you tell me, six months in and personal stowage aside, what you think? Think we can sow some fucking crops out here? Every meal you've ever had on this goddamn rock, it was all shipped in. Wait, the girl said. Wait now. You tell me all this and your solution is a death march in the dark? That must have been some fucking planning panel. What'd you do if the toilet backed up, slit your wrists? I'm just telling you the way it went, the why of it. They wouldn't listen no matter what they were told. Not even the fucking SUZ, for fuck's sake. I don't get it. That's the best you've planned? No, the scouts. They're going back out in a day or two. Good. Bastards make me nervous. You ate well, though, didn't you? Ashes in my mouth, the girl said. What? Look, when they go out again, they're going to be going a long ways. <sighs> that and tail is about all they talked about. Right. They'll draw those, those things away. Christ. So what you think? The midnight fuckers won't finish tearing them up and coming bawling after us? That only buys you a day, at most. What if there's more than one pack of those bastards? What's the rest? Well, Ruby and me, we got something figured. The scouts will be here the next day or two. Then they know they gotta go back out or everyone starves. Each time they've been going farther and farther. They'll go more than a week this time. They're good at what they do. All this time we're juicing the cells we have, on account of your work, we'd be three days out on Gudry's, give or take a day, without them even having our trail. I knew you for a wolf the minute I laid eyes on you. I never bought that mother shit you've been peddling. Sabine laughed at her. What? Now you think they're better than bait? That shit they pulled today, that isn't even near the worst thing they've done. You ask me? You got some more things to figure. Like how are you going to stop them just following us? They'll be gone a couple days, but when they get back here, find us gone with their food, our tracks won't be hard to follow. Like you say, they're good at what they do. They can follow. We'll be a whole sunrise and sunset out ahead of them. At least. Don't you see? They won't go for it. They'll only get torn up. They'll think we've gone hysterical. The girl shook her head. You done the planning for this thing, okay? We head for the Goodries, where you say, like you say. But we get out there and it don't play out like you say? Things go to shit? You're on your own. Every woman for themselves? Yeah. I can agree to that, Sabine said. 
Don't go thinking I'm some protector come to save you. Saving? The girl tapped the pommel of her machete. You couldn't even save yourself. Days of working, of eating, funneling away as many tins and crates as they could. Three nights later, the scouts woke early to ready themselves, charging magazines and dividing out rations. At first light, they rose as a body and moved off under thick mist, mute as corpses. The filtration unit lay on one side, hissing faintly. The hose had been torn loose and the ground was slick with ice. The three of them stood around it in the first sun's light. Ruby squatted over the intake valves, prying the last rags of hose from the valve. Well, that solves that, then. Five lives for three cells. Not even three, she said. Two and a bit. Fuck. Calm down, Sabine said. We still have the coil of hose pipe. Nah, that just leads to more trouble. What? Depends on how far inside we've got to go. How much of what juice do we have are we willing to burn taking a chance that we'll get more. Fucking Jesus, it gets better. The coupling is what, a good 600 feet inside? That's a long burn. You want to keep them off. If we even have that length of hose left. Pendleton began to pace and whisper to himself, a hysteric edge to his voice. I won't go into the darkness. It's the darkness. They're waiting in the dark. I, I won't go down there. I can't. No, I can't. I gotta stay on the light. They're waiting for us in the darkness. They, they can smell us just standing here. The pale woman watched his pace and turn and pace. Yeah, thanks, Mr. Vital Input. We weren't aware of that. She shrugged. Ask me. It's not worth burning up the only cells we got left for a maybe. We light out as we are, going off of what we've got yesterday and the day before. Another day would have only gotten us three in a bit. She crouched in the defile, a hard wind blowing grit into her face. She lifted her hand to her brow and studied the plain. Tall outcrops of iron bedrock, scabbed over with dirty ice. She drew down her hood and shivered. Well, nothing. It's what I expected. Sabine hasn't a fucking clue, the girl said. How many miles it is or where we are. No, I wouldn't say so, Ruby said as she climbed back up the slopes and helped Pendleton drag the lines of the sled. So, what you're trying to say, they just took a notion to head into the field? That's where the tracks are headed. There wasn't the light left for me to follow. Goodries, the big man said and shook his head. Even she knew there was nothing that way. You don't believe me? You go ahead and take a look yourself. I aim to, son. I aim to. That bitch must have lost it. Well, crazy or not, she took everything we had laid by. 
There had to have been an angle to it. Fuck. Never should have took up with that cunt. What do you want to do? The big man studied the lines of the empty city a long time. He just stood, staring with his fist clenched at his side. Bed down, he said. First light, we're out after him. That was Stephen O'Donnell's The Teeth and the Darkness, as read by Josie Babin. Living in that formerly abandoned house on the corner, the one across the street from the cemetery, the one with all those cats lounging about, you will find Josie, happily narrating horror stories. No one has seen her human companion lately, but the cats do look well-fed. Not that those things have anything to do with one another. In between stories, she works on a long list of house projects and car projects. But best of all, she gets to work on lab projects, growing cells into medicine, hopefully making the world a little healthier in the not-so-far-off future. If you're ever in San Diego, stop by to say hi. She'll introduce you to her cats. Thank you, Josie. Well, children of the night, the hour is late and we've run out of tales to tell. For now. Tales to Terrify is made possible by the tremendous generosity of our supporters on Patreon and PayPal. Incredible fans like Kathy Robinson and Amanda Gottfried, whose generous support helps keep the lights on and flickering ominously. Not a supporter already? Head over to patreon.com slash tales to terrify, where you'll find all kinds of perks like ad-free and extended episodes, bonus content, and one-of-a-kind collectibles and merch packs. Every dollar goes back into this show to make it as horrific as possible and we appreciate it so much. Want another way to support the show that doesn't cost a cent? Head over to Stitcher, Podchaser, or Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. You'll not only put an unnaturally wide smile on our faces, but help new listeners discover our terrifying tales, too. Now you can share your love of the show out in the world, with some Tales to Terrify merch. TalesToTerrify.com slash merch will take you to our Tee Public store, where we've got a great collection of creepy custom and curated designs that's always growing, so check back often. Tales to Terrify is produced by Seth Williams, Pete Morsellino, Meredith Morgenstern, Andrew Gibson, and myself, Drew Sebastini with original theme by Nebulous Entertainment. Tales to Terrify is distributed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Join us again next week 
as we descend into Stygian seas with more Tales to Terrify. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.